0: So we have some that are Scrooges. You... Yes. I confess. Okay. All right. I love Jesus, but I... Please change him. <laughs> okay. What else? Leading up to preparing for Christmas, what do you do for traditions? Decorate. 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 How many of you all already got your tree set up? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the rest of you are all Scrooges, too. <laughs> Todd, it's a tad loud. Isn't... I'm trying to would. Perfect. Okay. Sorry. Nobody else. Well, that actually helps me out exactly with the point I was hoping to make. Go ahead, Charity. I'm gonna read through Matthew. Okay. Uh, Charity's going to read through Matthew over the course of December. You know, I, I think we do really well at celebrating Christmas, right? It, we really pour a lot of time and effort into the actual celebration of Christmas. But I don't think we're very well preparing for Christmas, are we? Um, and maybe you're like me and I, I sometimes start to feel almost sick to my stomach after a while because I feel this like pull, this pressure to buy, buy, buy more stuff and break my budget. My wife knows all about that. <laughs> um, and and I, I found myself like thinking, wait a second, isn't this supposed to be that Jesus is the reason for the season time? Mm-hmm. And, and I lose sight of that. Um, And and there can be fun traditions over the course of, of December and special ones. But I think we should have traditions as well that help us keep Jesus at the center of the Christmas season. And that's what we want to help you do as a church and as families and as individuals this year is to help you keep Jesus at the center of this season in preparing for Christmas By observing something called Advent, maybe you've noticed, like, I've got this weird arrangement up here, of purple and pink, one pink candle, and only one's lit, and you're like, what's going on here? Somebody forgot to finish. No, this is all by design, and I'll get into it in just a minute. But how many have ever heard of the word Advent? How many have actually celebrated Advent and did something with it? Wesley back there and my my (laughs) kids, because we've been doing it for a while. Well, that's really great. I'm actually glad, and I don't have my clicker. Is the one that's up here? I may need your help, us to get in there. We're good. We're good. So Advent, what is that word? That word really just simply means coming. Advent just means coming. We call this time, we call the time that Jesus first came to earth as his first advent. In other words, his first coming. Right? Jesus was the long-awaited-for Messiah. and For thousands of years, literally thousands of years, God's people waited and waited for the Messiah to come. They waited for that first advent, waiting for the one who would come, who would right all the wrongs that started in the garden. And remember, he did come, And when he left, you remember in Acts, let me just go there. Acts 1, 6 through 11. This is after Jesus is risen from the dead. He's spent some time on earth and he's with his disciples. Says So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're longing to see like that Messiah was supposed to be like, taking down rulers and and fixing all the problems is now when you're going to do it, God. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then he blows their mind. Watch this. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're standing there, gazing into heaven, like totally shocked. You can imagine this, right? Mm -hmm. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Mm -hmm. That is had to be like the most encouraging thing because they really were expecting something else to happen and they thought it didn't happen and then he leaves and they're like discouraged and right within the same second, this word of encouragement comes and says, he's not done. He's not done. The first part is done, but there'll be another coming. He will come again. That's when he's going to come to unravel the curse. That time that the Bible prophesies about so much in the Old Testament. The Bible has lots of prophecies about Jesus coming. A lot of them are about that first time. But there's a whole bunch of prophecies that have still yet to be fulfilled about his second coming when he's going to unravel the curse. That's called the second advent. So the first time Jesus came, what we typically think of as Christmas, he was born as a baby, That's called the first advent, the first coming. The second advent is this. It's really what we're longing for as well. So the whole thing about advent is this. This is what advent's all about. If I could just put it in two little short phrases. It's about anchoring our hearts to the first advent. Like that's the anchor point. Jesus came, lived and died, right? And it's about preparing our hearts for the second advent, So Advent's about both comings. It's about His first coming, but looking forward and preparing for His second coming. So hopefully you're wondering, okay, great. Now I get a little bit of better understanding, but how does that work? What does it actually do? Um, What do we do in Advent? And Advent, for us as a church and as a family and individuals, is about traditions, okay? And I wanted to say a word real quick about traditions, Because um, these are not, these things I'm going to talk about, I'm not in my sermon yet. I'm just going to explain Advent and then I'll have a really kind of short dive into one passage this morning. The things I'm going to talk about here with celebrating Advent are traditions. They're not something that the Bible lays out and says, this is what you should do. And you need to keep that in mind so you can hold these loosely. I'm not telling you these things that this is, the Bible says you must do this, but traditions, and you know this, traditions for tradition's sake are pointless. Well, we do this because we've been doing it. That's not the kind of tradition I'm talking about. There are some traditions that are helpful for us as people because they help us keep our hearts and minds in the right way. And that's what these Advent traditions are that I'm going to explain to you here. That's what they're about. And there's three different areas of traditions that I think we can look at To help us understand. And I'm going to start with these backwards. So I said there's areas of tradition in our church and our family and our personal traditions. Let me start with that first one. Personal traditions. Advent. And I love that Charity said I'm going to start reading the book of Matthew. Um, Personally, Advent should be a very personal time for you. For one. It should be an opportunity for you to grow closer to the Lord. To spend time really focusing Because remember, it's not just anchoring your heart on the first advent. It's preparing your heart for the second advent. Now, we don't prepare ourselves so that Jesus will receive us. He receives us because of what he did at the first advent on the cross. We prepare ourselves, though, so that we are ready when he walks in the door. Right? Do we want Jesus to come and see us right as we are right now? Think If you're like me, I'm like, no, I need to grow in my Christ-likeness, becoming the person he wants me to be, that he's making me to be. So I take Advent personally as a time to work on me growing more like Christ. So that's personally, there's traditions. And one of the traditions I do is I buy yet another Advent devotional book. (laughs) She's wrong. (laughs) I'm always looking for a new Advent devotional book every year. And I mean, we've been married for, well, I'm 46. I haven't been doing it the whole time. We've been married for 24 years. This is our 25th year. And so I, I don't know why I don't have a lot of them are e-books. So and this week on Facebook, I'm going to post some for you. So you yourself can pick one um, to read through personally. But that's just the one level of tradition. The other tra- area of tradition is in your homes. And there's a whole bunch of things. You can do as a family. Notice my kids raised their hand when we said, do you do Advent? Well, because there's things we do in our home that you can do to help celebrate. And I'm not actually going to get into explaining that. But at the end of the service, we have a gift for you, a book we're going to send you home with that walks through what can you do in your home to celebrate Advent together. And um, I'll talk about that at the very end of the service. In that first area, though, is really what's helpful for us this morning, is thinking about what we do as a church to celebrate Advent. And one, so I'm just going to tick off a few ways that we can do this as a church. Some of these are things that we already do. Um, we can decorate. You don't, don't think about decorating just for decorating's sake. Right? <laughs> decorating is meant to be symbolic and to make things beautiful, which is part of our calling as human beings, right? So decorating for Advent, obviously. We obviously sing songs. Um, We sang one this morning, but what I want you to keep in mind, though, over the next few weeks, we're going to be picking songs that won't necessarily always be Christmas carols. We'll do some of those, but they're going to be tied into a theme. And Advent has four themes in it. And traditionally, it's been hope, Peace, love, and joy. Um, and with each of those themes, we, we light a candle each week. So you notice there's four candles here, right? And it's traditionally, and I'm just going to keep going traditionally. You're not going to find this like in the Bible anywhere, but these are helpful traditions. There are these three purple count candles, and for some reason, love is always a pink candle. Okay. So, um, but we light one, and next Sunday we'll light this one and this one. And in your home all week, you're going to light the first candle as you do something together as a family. There's also a center candle, and that you like. Well, I don't see the center candle. There is a center candle that will come, and that's a center white candle that we call the Christ candle, and that helps us remind the Christ is coming. And on our candlelight service, the white candle will. Be here and lit on that day. So um, we take four Sundays to celebrate Advent. And you may be wondering, okay, we just finished Thanksgiving. We're not even in December. Why are we starting this? Because four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. So if Christmas starts on December 25th, you have to count back four Sundays. That fourth Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Sometimes it ends up starting right here in November. Very often it does, actually. So we'll have... Four Sundays that will celebrate Advent each day. Each Sunday we'll light a different candle and then we'll culminate it on having a candlelight service. And if you can make that, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a brand new thing for us. I get that you probably already have some family plans. But if you have family in town, I'd encourage you to invite them to come. Because a lot of times at Christmas and Easter, you hear of C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians, people are more inclined to say, yeah, let's go do something like that. And so it'd be a good opportunity just to say, "Hey, we're just going to have a short service, sing Christmas songs together and read some scriptures about Jesus. I don't even know if we're going to have a full sermon. I'm probably just going to have a short devotional, if that, but I'll make sure the gospel is presented. So it'd be an opportunity to bring unsaved family and relatives to hear the gospel as well. And it's special. We get to bring the lights down, we've got candles we're all going to hold. it'll be great. <laughs> So um, that's, that's another way that traditions of Advent are celebrated. Um, and then finally, the sermon that we'll preach every week. Matt and I are going to take a break from our I'm Not in Joshua today. He may be preaching from Luke, but not in his regular passage. He doesn't know. I'm not sure if you know yet. But he's going to pre- we're going to preach a text that's centered around that theme. And today's theme is hope. So I hope that's helpful in explaining the Advent traditions that we'll do as a church. Um, let me just take a word, a moment to pray here, and I'll just dig into our passage for today on hope. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have every year to focus on your coming. Both the coming when you came to earth the first time as a baby, to live and die and rise again from the grave for us, and for that second advent that we long for. We know that you're coming. We ask for your help by your spirit this morning that you would encourage our hearts with this text from 1 Peter and that we would be people who are making much of you this season, celebrating Jesus through the whole month. Father, thank you for the gifts that you give to us like your word and your church and traditions, things that we can celebrate together that help our hearts that drift so easily. In Jesus name. Amen. So hope is our theme today. Hope is always something that looks to the future, right? Hope is about looking to the future, but there's two kinds of hope. You've probably heard this before. There's, there's a hope that says, I hope I win the lottery, right? (laughs) I, I hope my team wins. I hope I get a raise. We say, but don't get your hopes up. That's, The first kind of hope that we typically think about, it's hope that's based on an unknown, but highly desired future, right? That's typically what we think of when we say hope. Something in the future that I'm looking forward to, but I don't know for sure if it's gonna happen. The other kind of hope is built on a known future. And there's only one place in this world that you can know the future, right? Every single other place and activity and thing, we have no way of knowing the future, but there are some things that we do know about the future from God's word. In the Christian faith, we have the hope of Jesus coming back. And the Bible explains it in some, some level of detail for us, enough for us to be able to grasp onto it and hold to that. And that's the kind of hope that we as, a Christian, as Christians have. And Bruce, Bruce Demarest says it this way. He says, The possession of present good is enjoyment the anticipation of a future good is hope, right? That's what we are talking about. And observing the season of Advent is about enjoying what we have in the first Advent and its effects. And it's anticipating the future and final good of the second Advent. And you may be asking, why would we put so much effort into that future one when we know this first one was so great well, the reason is it's because things aren't the way they're supposed to be yet, are they? You and I feel it, right? Romans eight twenty through 21 For creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You can feel that verse is rising up. Creation is is kind of locked into this suffering that started in Genesis 3. This futility of brokenness, everything being broken. Audrey just finally put away that thorn bush that was out here and actually just thought, oh, I still could use it again. (laughs) That futility is what this verse is talking about. That's brokenness and pain. And you feel it, but yet it says here, in hope that the creation itself, will be set free. We don't have that yet, do we? We long for it. We feel that desire that it will be set free, that we will be set free. And as I was thinking this week about what passage I should look at with you together, I wanted one that would kind of cap- encapsulate all of Advent. And there's several, but I kept coming back to 1 Peter 1:13 that I want us to look at for just a few minutes here this morning. 1 Peter 1:13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind on a future grace. Okay? There's a guy I like to read named John Piper who has a book called Future Grace. And that, that book he talks about the grace, the future grace he's talking about is the grace you'll receive later today and tomorrow and next week. It's that grace that you need to become who he wants you to be. This verse is not about that grace. This great verse is about that future grace when Jesus comes back and is revealed. So I want us to just see three things in this passage real quickly this morning. I want us to see why. To set your hope on future grace, how to set your hope on future grace, and where to set your hope on future grace. So first of all, the why to set your hope on future grace. I think this passage shows us why. And it's right there in that very first word, therefore. Therefore, when you see that in a passage, it's like saying, because what I just said is true, then this is also true. And that's how we use the word therefore. If we use that, we mean something else we just said is true. Therefore, this is also true. In the verses leading up to this, in verses 10 through 12, Peter's just gone through and talked about Old Testament prophets who wrote about the coming Messiah. Think about those Old Testament prophets who were writing prophecies about the Messiah coming. And Peter says that they didn't fully understand it. They just kind of looked forward to that promise that God would keep when he came, when the Messiah would come. And it even says in the verses right before this, that angels even long to peer into the good news of those promises being fulfilled. And Peter says in the verses before this, that the fulfillment of the promises that the Old Testament writers wrote about were all realized in Christ and that those who have now come to experience Jesus as their Savior are experiencing the benefits of the first advent. So when he says, therefore, he's saying all of the good news of the gospel is what I'm talking about. And because of that, therefore, that's the why you're going to set your f- hope on a future grace is because of the good news of the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you may be like, okay, wh- what do you mean about the good news of the gospel? I've heard that before. I could probably say it has something to do with church. But let me just quickly remind you what the gospel is. The gospel is that the eternal Son of God, who had forever and eternity dwelt with the Father and Spirit in perfect harmony, By the power of the Spirit, became a baby in the womb of a virgin named Mary. By the power of the Spirit, that happened. And then he was born and lived as a real child, fully God, but also fully man. And as a boy, never once disobeyed. As a young man, never once disobeyed God. He fully obeyed all those Old Testament laws we read about that were like, I don't understand all those. And he obeyed every single one that applied to him as a young man and obeyed them perfectly because he was a substitute, a living substitute, standing in your place, living that life, obeying all of God's law perfectly as a fully human, fully God, person. And then he goes to the cross. He's accused of crimes he didn't commit. Blasphemy, all kinds of things are thrown at him and all of them were untrue, and yet he was hung on a cross. And on that cross he was brutally killed. And worse than that, you're like, "Wait, how there could be worse than that?" Jesus, the son of God who had forever been united with his father in perfect harmony, on that cross, the father pours out his wrath on his son by rejecting his son. So that living substitute now becomes a dying substitute for you. Hanging on, your cross, on that cross, not just dying a horrible death for you. Having the wrath of God on him because your sins are on him. That's why Jesus said on that cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because the father cannot look on sin and he's there absorbing all of your sin. then they bury him. He dies. And they bury him in a real tomb. Three days later, he rises from that tomb by the power of the spirit. And then, as we read earlier, ascends to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. And the good news of the gospel is that if you'd read the rest of the book of first Peter, and I encourage you to do that because I'm picking out a verse right from the middle of a book. We usually don't do that here. We usually read through and study it from end to end. Right. So I'm trying to give you some context. Read the rest of first Peter today, this week. You will see this good news of the gospel that I'm talking about. And the good news is that that life that Jesus lived and died for you can be yours. You've got to realize that the sins that he was bearing were your sins fully paid for and all of your good efforts are not good enough. He took them all for you and you can by faith, trust in Christ. And that is the good news that G that Peter's talking about here. Therefore, that's the why you look to the future advent because he came and did that for you. And now you're his and now you're going to look forward to being with him. So that's the why that's the why. Why you should set your hope on the future grace is because the promises fulfilled in the first advent, the promises of a Messiah, those that were fulfilled in Jesus, guarantee us the promise of the second advent. You've got to have that first advent. You've got to have Jesus coming, living and dying for you in order to have that second advent so secondly, Peter shows us how to set our hope on future grace in this verse. If you look here, the second phrase says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully. So that, let's look at that, prepare your minds for action. What does he mean there? Well, it's not translated very literally. We use the ESV here. It's pretty literal. Not, it's not awkwardly literal, and this is a good example Because literally right there, the words say, gird up the loins of your mind. There's a few people laughing. Like, what? (laughs) Gird up the loins of my mind? That is literally what the word is. Now, if you've read elsewhere in uh, the Bible, maybe you've seen that phrase, gird up your loins. Uh, If you grew up with the King James, you saw it a lot because they would literally say it right there. Let me help you if you don't know what girding up your loins means. This is Mr. Old Testament dude Um, from the Art of Manliness website they made this drawing. It's very helpful for you to be able to see what does it mean to gird up your loins. If you can imagine being dressed like this guy with a robe that goes down here and you need to do some work or you're getting ready to go into battle, it's not going to be very helpful to be dressed like this. So the next thing you need to do is pick up your robes and pull them up in front of you like this, okay? And then you're going to tie them together in front of you like a tube. And now it's going to be a little awkward here. Now you're going to pull them through a little bit like a diaper, all right? You pull them through, and then you've got them behind you now, and you can tie them. This is what they would do when they gird up their loins. In other words, in loins, we think, oh, that's awkward. It means everything down here in this region. The guts, everything. When that's all secure and all tied in tight, you feel like you can work a lot better and be a lot more flexible, right? So you pull it around and then you tight, tighten it. And now you're ready to do business, right? That's what it means to gird up your loins. But the verb there in the verse... By the way, you can find this online. It's very helpful if you need to know this for when you're getting ready to go into battle or need to work. Those of you guys on the, whatever. <laughs> Back to the verse. It literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. He doesn't just say, gird up your loins, get ready for battle. He says, gird up your loins, the loins of your mind. That's why they've translated this as prepare your mind for action. And the reason he says that, he's not saying that the action that lies in front of you is all in your mind. That's that, like as if it's some kind of uh, Eastern religion that this is all not real. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that the battle that lies ahead of you first starts here. It first starts here. When I was in basic infantry training, there were men there who were much more physically fit than me. I was only slightly less awesome as, as, than I am right now. <laughs> but what was interesting to me is there were men there much more physically fit who quit. They couldn't hack it because it was up here. It was mainly up here first. And if you can put your mind to what you have to do, you could then pass the, the PT test when the PT test wasn't even the worst of it. The enemy and the, and the military, they know that. That's why they're trying to break them down because they know it's the mind first because the enemy will go after your mind first. In our enemy, the devil goes after your mind first. He tells you lies just like he did in Genesis 3 to Adam and Eve. And you and I need to be prepared in our minds to fight lies with truth. To fight lies with truth. Truth about who God is, but also truth about what he did in that first advent. And if those are true, then also the promises of what he's going to do in the second advent. You prepare your mind to face the battle by going first to truth and arming yourself with truth. And part of observing Advent this month should be about growing in the arena of your mind, where the battle will be fought. That battle to convince you that there's some other good you're missing out on. That somehow God's withholding something from you, fighting that lie. That's the lie Satan told Eve and Adam that God is holding back something from you. And that's baloney. And you have to fight that lie with the truth of scripture. Truths about who God says he is, what he said he would do, how he fulfilled those things. And now there's more yet to come. And whatever the lies that you're believing, maybe there's lies right now around Christmas time. Looking forward to that. That you don't look forward to Christmas because of that. Maybe it's about broken relationships that you think they'll never be fixed. You've lost all hope. And those, then there's lies that start pouring in. Or maybe, there's, maybe you have the lies that a relationship will make you happy. Maybe missing out on a relationship that you think you should have is going to make you happy. Or maybe, especially at this time of year, that having this next thing, this next tool, this next whatever it is, is what's going to make you happy. You've got to know that those are lies and those hap- that happiness won't last. Even the happiness in relationships won't last. Whatever the lies are, Peter tells us that one of the ways to set your mind on future grace during the Advent season and beyond is by Preparing your mind for action in the spiritual battlefield. The second phrase he says there is being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. This is how Peter's telling us how to set our hopes fully on the future grace. Now, when we see sober-minded, I think our brain's immediately going to being sober. Like even that was said this morning in testimony time. But that's not the same kind of sober here. The Bible does condemn drunkenness, but every time it uses the word sober, it's actually talking about your thinking. This this commentator describes this word sober-minded really well. He says, it inculcates a calm, steady state of mind that evaluates things correctly so that it is not thrown off balance by new and fascinating ideas. That's what being sober-minded is. I'd say it's being level-headed, right? That's what he's saying. It's about being level-headed. It's completely the opposite of the panic of those dudes in the boat last week, right? It's, it's the opposite. It's not getting rocked by things. It's not getting swayed by all the fads that come. It's not getting worked up by conspiracy theories. It's, it's thinking rightly about what's true and what we know is true from God's word. It's thinking right about life in this world and what God says about it. And it's so easy for the trials of life, though, to kind of push in on us. And we don't do this, right? But Peter says here that in light of the first advent, in light of the first advent, one way to prepare for the future grace of the second advent is to be sober minded, to think about what's true. To remember what we learned last week in Luke 8, when Jesus called the storm. Remember how Pastor Matt helped us to see that we have to view even the storm, the trials, the things, as being sent from the hand of God for us. Right? I think that hymn we've been learning captures it so well. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh that's nigh, not night, unto the shore, the rock of Christ, God, it's the one. Now and ever we confess, Christ, our hope and life and death. So finally, first Peter 1:13, where we're at here, Peter also tells us where to set our hopes fully. He tells us to set it on future grace. He's told us the why, he's told us the how, and now he's telling us set your great hopes fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says that we set our hope on a grace that's going to come later. Now, that's a little strange if you think about it, right? Because we usually think about grace in terms of what Jesus did for us on the cross and gives to us. Grace and getting saved. We use that that kind of terminology. But the Bible talks about grace coming in all kinds of ways and at different times. There's a a grace that the Spirit gave to pull you to himself when you didn't even want it. And then there's a grace that comes that declares you righteous and innocent. There is a grace that is involved in changing that dead heart of yours to be a live beating heart. That takes grace. And then there's a grace that is what you need for this afternoon. It's grace that you need right now to even pay attention to me, which is hard. (laughs) There's grace that comes to help shape you into the person that God wants you to be. But this grace is a grace that's more future than that. It's the grace of what the Bible usually uses the word salvation. We talk about saved and salvation. If you look through the New Testament, even the Old Testament, salvation, that word usually means the future at the very end. Because you get saved from what judgmental lies ahead. And that's the grace that's coming. The grace that's coming is what will be revealed when Jesus comes back. And every eye sees him, it says. Here's the thing if all we had was just the first advent and no promise of the second, then everything would be in vain. It wouldn't make any sense because there'd be no future resurrection. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If all we have is that past, Jesus coming. And no future Jesus coming, the resurrection of us, then everything's vain. But we do have a future coming because we know it's true because he already kept these other promises. If he keeps promises that cannot be kept by anybody other than a sovereign God, then we know that the other promises will be fulfilled for sure. So this is the year. This is the year that you can make Christmas different. This is the year that you can make it different than any other season you've ever had. And it starts by preparing your hearts for Jesus to have Jesus be the center of your Christmas season, even starting now. This is the year to examine your own heart and say, where am I putting my hopes? And I'm not saying that don't put hopes in unknown futures, but that's not where your stock should be. Your everything in terms of hope for getting through to the end cannot be Jesus plus, plus, plus. It's got to be all Jesus. All of your hopes have got to be put on Jesus, what he did on the cross, and the fact that he's coming back. That happiness that I long for will only happen when he comes back. And this season of Advent... It's a season to celebrate the grace that came at Christmas and a perfect baby boy. But you may be here. This is this season and preaching Christmas messages is a little bit like pre- preaching Mother's Day messages. They can be painful for people. Um, and, and, and I don't mean painful because they can be tacky. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean painful because a lot of us sit in the pew or the chairs and have... Pain that we're dealing with related to like mothers or Christmas. Maybe Christmas isn't fun for you. Maybe you feel the failed, the sadness of failed dreams and broken relationships. Maybe you feel the pain of of hurting bodies and sickness taking over. Or maybe you fear persecution coming because it is and it's starting to overwhelm you. And all of that, that's why you have to celebrate Advent. Because you're going to hate Christmas otherwise. Because Advent is about this time to reflect and anchor my heart on that first Advent and prepare my heart for that second. And when you set your hope fully on a future grace, by preparing your mind for action and being level-headed, then you're going to experience joy hope, love, and peace in this season. But I want to I just close with what a picture of what that grace looks like. It says the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me just read it to you because let me let God describe to you what that grace looks like. This is Revelation chapter 19, verses 6-9 through 9, and then 21, 1-4. through 4. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast, the supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the church. That's those who've died and gone before and they're coming. It's all being brought together. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what the grace that's going to be revealed to you will look like. That's what you're longing for. That's what's coming. That's what Christmas is about, is looking forward to that. Rejoicing that he came and made that possible. Because if he hadn't come the first time, that's not possible. Rising from the grave was a promise and a seal and a guarantee that that will happen. So now take this time, this season, to focus and relish and revel in the second and first and second advent Matt. if you come and pray and then we're going to sing we will feast together all right i'm going to have you stand while we're praying and while they're getting up here and getting ready <clears throat> let's pray heavenly father i thank you god for this day i thank you that we are here i thank you lord that you came God, I thank you that we have a sure hope that you're coming. Lord, I pray now as we close our time together and we think about that future hope that we have, that we will someday feast together in the house of Zion. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we're singing this to begin preparing our minds for this next week that our hope is set on this future grace that will be revealed. Lord, help us to have our minds thinking on those things as we sing. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take full advantage of all that you provided for us from your word as we enter into this season. I pray these things now in Christ's name, amen.